Hey, what is up everyone? It's Drew from the Warrior Workout Network. Hey, we're back to our normal format. I've got Sean and hey, it's good to go. We're good to go. I hope everyone had a good week. In this episode, we talk to Lisa Yambrick and Joseph Worley. We talk to them about America's Vet Dogs, what they do, and hey, guess what? They've got something coming up that we need people to sign up for. Three 5K races. That's it. You can walk them, you can run them, you ain't got to do much. The link will be available in the SoundCloud bio. We'll have it on our Facebook. Um, Email us, but join in, raise money, and help get veterans their service dogs. Now, without further ado... Lisa Yambrick and Joseph Worley, everybody. Bill, we don't go there. <laughs> oh, shoot, dude. I cannot thank you enough. I needed to write down Bible Belt as a note because I have to put that in our documentary. And I forgot that I had to write that. That's the dude you fucking saved me. I'm saving lives, man. It's what I do. I'm a corpsman. It doesn't end. <laughs> Your service has not ended. No. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no end of service on this podcast. We're constantly just trying to self-resurrect each other. It's just, it's, yeah. It's like watching. That's what it is. It's all run. that right there. I, I'm gonna get everything set up to go live. We can just do casual. Let me shots. text my mom, or I'm gonna get lit. My mom's gonna kick me in the throat. All right, so we're gonna post as the Warrior Workout Network. We can also, oh. So my mommy will be able to get to it from just the one, the warriorworkoutnetwork.org, right? Um, face, yeah, I mean, or if she wants to watch it now, she can go to the, we're on Facebook Live, uh, the Warrior Workout Network. We're live right now, actually live. Not yet. Um, I'm getting everything set up to go live. Gotcha. Do, 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 do. Click the Facebook button on their website, mommy. Mom. <laughs> Moms. Um, yeah, mom. I'm glad I'm a spoiled, rotten mama's boy. I did an episode last week, and um, yeah, Rook had some family issues to take care of, and I had a guest host on, which is one of my buddies. And um, I got to tell you, it's weird, weird not having Rook on an episode. Man. Like the energy, just like if you've ever seen Wayne's World, when he's when uh, Garth is sitting on the couch by himself when Wayne leaves, and he's just like. Uh, uh, that's so it's almost the exact feeling. Live silent Bob, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Literally, that's that's. There, you will see. I really have no job here. Um, that's a lie. Yeah, you're a ground yeah. though. You're you know. Ideally, the ground never has to do anything, but it's very important <laughs> to be there. <laughs> yeah, I'm the ground, all right. I'm the ground you hit after you jump. You're green wire, ground. baby. <laughs> yeah, it's green it's, wire actual. It's funny. I remember one time me and Drew had to do like a, <clears throat> we were on a very like up-tempo podcast schedule and it was like 
one hour and a half podcast and then we had like a five minute break and then it was like another hour and a half podcast and it was on two different subjects one very heavy and like one was like on like more like a lighter topic kind of like you know more social kind of um theme and i was so burned out from the first one like it was such an intense episode that like the second episode starts five minutes after that last one dude and Bruce, dude i was nothing for like yeah. 20 minutes, I was just like this on, on Facebook Live. I was just going. Like that's, what, that's what people were getting. People were like, is he frozen? Is he? <laughs> we had a four-hour episode where we had to shut off our mics and cameras to take crying breaks. It was crazy. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that was a very intense episode. That was a, that was a very intense. That, that was from a uh, Army combat medic and he was uh going going through some mission stuff um but yeah we we've just had we've literally been so burned out on on episodes before just so much emotional stuff that we're just there's like those it, it feels like it's 10 minutes but it's like you know five seconds but we're just staring at the screen like trying to think of stuff to say yeah. you know i i think people don't realize how dramatically tiring your spirit can get when you're surrounded by people that you you care about whether you know them or not you know i go to these conventions and i'm around all these Vietnam vets you know and when i grew up these were the cool dudes with like the long hair and and you know and now these guys are are like barely making it and they're hurting and talking to these people and just even if they're not talking about what they're going through it just pulls something out of you you know I, I get in my room and I think I'm gonna like watch Netflix and stay up till two in the morning and I just end up like staring at the ceiling and falling asleep kind of like in a weird mixture of thinking and praying <laughs> yep all right yep. the link is copied we're about to go live guys okay and by the way keep up the casual conversation and then once we naturally transition I'll do a, a formal intro for you and Lisa and then we'll go into the podcast conversation Rook, why are you trying to angle me, bro? What? No, that is all like. <laughs> oh, no. My arms just look like this. Oh, right I, I bet they do, buddy. <laughs> They're just, that's that's my belly. There's a huge. <laughs> just I usually use me. this as like a, a spot for my Oreos. Like, here's my coffee. <laughs> but Bruce said because we're the Warrior Workout Network, he won't let me do that anymore because it leaves a bad impression on people trying to be fit and stuff. So he's I can fun. see that. No. You know, so I just send him wrong, pictures. But I can episodes. see where he's coming from. Yeah, I just, I just, I'll, I'll just like cram like twenty Oreos in my mouth and then like send a picture to him, and I, and and he's just like, you're fired. He fires me after every podcast and then hires me back in the morning. Yeah, because the end is a stringent process. Can't do it without you. <laughs> you said you're the grounding wire. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're just we haven't found enough another person to be, you know, someone's gonna fill in one day and I'll be mopping the floors and that's fine. You know what I mean? Like I can do I can do the buffer, you know what I mean? I can just yeah up the floors, you know. What's great is if you're the guy in the movie that like everybody ignores and they don't realize that he's like the stakeholder in the company, you know, and all he's doing is he just wants to clean bathrooms and like that's yep, that's how trash. Stalin rose to power. <laughs> he was the secretary dude for Lenin, and everyone's like, We don't want that job. I want to be the people's karmazar over here. And they're like, No, I'll be the secretary, I'll control everything. He was basically mm -hmm. the janitor, and that's how he became the most powerful man in the world. Well, note to self, watch out for janitors. 
<laughs> note to self deflate the energy of a conversation like that. Talking about Stalin, baby. This is historical facts all day. Um, speaking speaking of mopping floors, let's go. Let's talk about some dictators. <laughs> all right, cool. All Nothing right, like so. partial genocide to keep a conversation going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no wasted airtime on this podcast. <laughs> no. We fill it with awkwardness. There you go. Yes, exactly. Yes. Oh wait, talents. we do have people viewing, and then we will answer questions as we go as well. Maybe not the questions you ask, but we will answer questions. That's that's the goal, man. Um. So once I get set up here to answer everyone's questions, then we'll go ahead and introduce our two guests. Rook, I should put you on the spot and be like, hey, man, do the formal introduction. And so he can be like, dude, I hate you even more. What are you going to do? Fire me? Yeah. Fire me? Again. Again. All right. There we go. We're all set to answer all questions and everything. So uh welcome to the warrior workout network podcast we are a nonprofit dedicated to battling the suicide and obesity epidemics that negatively affect the veteran community lately we've more been facilitators of pairing people up with communities and we're talking today with people that like to pair people up with emotional service animals is that the proper term no it's uh it, so a service animal mitigates physical disability emotional support animals uh, work with um well emotions okay fair see there we go um so that by the way is joe worley now joe is a georgia raised uh foster parent former corpsman uh now an incredible ambassador for america's vet dogs uh and with us is also lisa yambrick she's an army vet uh volunteer extraordinaire in the community of helping to pair dogs with veterans and you also take a lot of your time to find homes for other dogs like not just that so you're all about you're all over the place with the dogs you love them i love the dogs um because they just can work miracles whether or not you're a disabled veteran they're just they they heal you they they uplift you they do everything and they want nothing in return except you know milk bone now and then you know bed and stay inside it's, it, I just think they're wonderful and I think they all deserve to have a great home. They do. You, always, and you know what, do you, do you, what about cat people? How do you feel about cats? Any cat people here? No, nothing. Drain the room again. You know, Drain I the pan again with cats. They're just not as useful. They don't like, like cats. Been nice don't knowing like you. Welcome to cancel culture, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't know her. I'm speaking my mind. Um, well, that uh, works out great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it does. Yeah. <laughs> so you just lost the kitty litter lobby, you know. And, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. The lobby, yeah, you're getting cat lobbied. Cat lobbied. <laughs> I threatened to put the put the cat filter on my face, so just be oh, careful. That'd have been perfect. <laughs> You can't do it now. I know. Dan Hernandez, hello, and he says, cats once worshipped by man, and they have not forgotten. I agree. That's, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Is that not the truth? Man, yeah, Dan, you're popping fire in here, man, right now. Um, so J Joe and Lisa, we did our pre-meeting yesterday, mm -hmm. and uh, we got to meet Joe for the first time yesterday. And um, you will see that he is just positivity through and through. And um, – 
just the hour that we got to speak with you yesterday, it's like you're operating on a level of just fun, funny, you heal, you recover, you help others heal. And, and just, man, it's a blessing to have you. So thank you guys for both being here today. I and Lisa, I've known for years. I've known Lisa for years. Yes, it's been quite a while. Yeah. Like for me, I'm just humbled to be able to do it because, you know, we've been through these crazy things and you get to actually utilize this bad stuff for positive. It's, uh, I mean, it's a net gain. I mean, I'm, I'm humbled to be able to do it. Mm. Yeah, um, first of all, Rook, I don't, you good. Um, so let me ask you, first of all, to, to start, like what got you, Joe and Lisa, I'm going to kind of ask these in, in tandem. What got you both wanting to work with dogs and help pair them with other people? You go ahead, Miss Lisa. Oh, all right. Well, uh, <clears throat> and I am an Army veteran. Uh, I was never deployed. I was never uh, injured, wounded, anything. I spent my, my, my whole term of service in Kansas, um, which is damaging in its own way. <laughs> um, but... Uh, <laughs> After I got out, um, my sister actually was already involved with the organization with America's Vet Dogs as a volunteer. And she invited me to a Vet Dogs graduation um, ceremony, which was being held at the Mayflower Hotel in DC. So I wasn't going to pass that up. Um, at the time, um, <laughs> the, the Marriott family was very deeply involved uh, with the organization too. And they, they own the, the, uh, the Mayflower. But anyway, I go to this event and uh, Linda Odierno is sitting in front of me. Um, uh, Pete Chiarelli is there, you know, all these, at the time I, you know, my jaw was dropping. It's like, because Mrs. Odierno at one point had a vet dog that she took to, um, to Walter Reed as a therapy dog, <clears throat> Tootsie. Uh, and what really sucked me in and got me hooked for life, watching this ceremony, it's very quiet. And then suddenly one of the dogs starts barking wildly. And I'm like, what, what is this? I mean, I thought these were well-trained dogs. He shouldn't be barking. Well, it turns out that the dog, uh, Larry was his name. His person, Mark Guathme, a Marine Corps veteran, has traumatic brain injury and he has seizures. And Larry only barked when Mark was going to have or was having a seizure. Wow. Um, he could tell up to two hours in advance if Whoa. Mark was going to have one. Um, and he would bark. We, we called it Larry's beautiful bark because it's the only time he would bark. So you knew, you knew something was going to happen. So if Mark was driving or if he was home alone, he would call somebody to come be with him. Larry would just lay down on top of him if he was having a seizure and he would not move until Mark came back out of it. And wow. it, once I heard that story after hearing Larry bark at the event, I was like, okay, you know, sign me up. My man. <laughs> it, it was phenomenal. You know, I, I saw that happen more than once. So. These dogs are that in tune with people's individual injuries that they can, once trained and acclimated to that veteran, they're they're just like another appendage, right? They're just like a they're like part of that veteran period, right? It, it really is. I mean, honestly, and a lot of times, you know, anybody who says that they can teach a dog to predict like that is selling. It's just something that happens um, and, and sometimes more often than others and with different types of disabilities, especially like diabetes, it's a lot easier for some dogs to pick it up. 
But yeah. some dogs are in tune with like hearts and some dogs are in tune with brains and you just never really know what you're going to get. And, uh, you know, they just, they pick stuff up and they get better at it. Even dogs that don't naturally um, or immediately start, you know, sort of, are, are, we're trained to react to a seizure, to bring help. Um, and, you know, it, it happens, you know, quite a lot that the dog begins to predict. How long have people been, do you know how the people have been using animals for like biological, like barometers? Like, is this like a, like a long practice or is this like the beginning of an evolution for them? At, on this level, I think that we're growing. I think that we're sort of hitting an, a new milestone because at, at this point, uh, you know, as soon as money starts getting spent, they want to do studies. And so now there's actually, you know, studies being done and, and things of that nature that are, uh, that are, that are definitely, you know, sort of reinforcing this common sense thing. You know, they love to do studies on things that people already know just to prove it. And, you know, dogs help people. They make people live longer. They drop anxiety. They make people take less meds of almost all kinds, everything from blood pressure to, to ADHD uh, dogs help with. I didn't know they could even wow. help with ADHD and diabetes and stuff. That's crazy. I, I think dogs and animals in general have been doing this for a very, very long time. It's just that we have now more recently become aware that they have this kind of sentience and they, they can do it. And we're acknowledging it, that they're not just you know the thing barking in the backyard. This is an animal that is pretty darn smart and, yeah. and can do a lot for us. And eager to please. That, that's the difference between dogs and cats. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cancel, cancel. You just never know where you stand with a cat. I've got friends like that. I didn't realize I was this guy's best friend once. Until he invited me to his wedding as his best man. I barely knew the guy. Turns out. Um, so, I mean, is there, is there any studies? I mean, as we talk about these studies, right? I mean, is there any animal? I, I know that a lot of people we'll go do like the, uh, you know, the, the therapy through, you know, horses and stuff like that. But, it, and, and I've heard about great bonds between people and, and horses, but I don't think that there's a level like this with any type of therapy animal. Am I correct? I would say so because the, the dog is living in the house with you. I mean, you might have a horse that does things for you, but you're not, you're not with them 24 seven. You've got to go to the stable or whatever, uh, to be with them. So you're not getting the constant level of awareness and attention and affection and whatever else it is that you, you need from the animal. So well, I, I, go ahead, John. Okay. I was, and not to like, you know, promote something other than, than service dogs, but mm -hmm. you're going for like a, an animal, like a horse or something like that. You're going for something different because that's an escape. You know, you get to like ride in the woods and that may be your thing. That may be your piece and everybody's different. Some mm -hmm to sit in a dark room and, and hammer on metal. Some people like to, to build with wood and, you know, some people like to be outside, you know, um, we're all, some people just like to get tattoos. <laughs> we're all different. Um, so when you, when you pair somebody with a, a service animal, there has to be a, an incredible level of responsibility from that handler or from the team, because you call them teams specifically, mm -hmm. Um, from that teammate, you need, uh, so, I mean, even you said that you have to go through a rigorous training. You want to talk about the, uh, that process a little bit? Yeah. So I actually went through, um, my, so I, you know, I, I'll go through this, you know, more in depth, but, you know, I ended up getting injured in Iraq in 2004 and, uh, ended up losing my left leg. 
I mean, although I guess technically I didn't lose it, I knew where it went. It went everywhere. Anyway, um, sorry, dark humor, um, which is like literally all my humor, puns and dark humor. Love it. I love it. Oh, boy. Do uh, yeah. all day. Oh, boy. We get you, brother. We get you. We're laughing. Well, I'm glad. So, when I went through the program the first time in 2008, uh, I ended up actually getting my first dog. It was a golden retriever named Benjamin. And it, the training course was way more intense than I thought it was going to be. I'll be honest with you. Going through, uh, you know, it's kind of like going through a, a basic training, but with a dog. Because at this point, the dog's fully trained, and they just need you to not screw that up. And 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 because we are slow and uh, stubborn, it's it takes about two weeks of pretty intensive training. You know, you're up at you know, zero seven, um, you know, getting ready to eat. They've got all the food like on campus, you know, they got a chef on, on campus named Kev who's He's incredible. <laughs> and, uh, and he loves what he does. And so, you know, they're taking care of all your basic needs there. You're just, your job is to be there and learn. And uh, so it's about a two week course and they're basically teaching you how to work with a dog and you're bonding with the animal at that time as well. Is there ever a time where you get, get there and they, they try to pair you with a dog and the pairing just doesn't work. Like you, like they have to go find a, a different dog for, I mean, cause maybe you're just not gelling or, or anything like that. Or is it pretty much, we have a dog for you and we're going to be able to get you squared away in two weeks. Um, so actually, you know, it, it does periodically happen. It's not all, but sometimes people show up and they realize just it's not for them or they're not in the headspace they were when they applied a year ago. Sometimes apply you know a year later or whatever they've gone through a divorce and you know their heart's just not really in it anymore and uh and you know they're you know it's not it's not perfect every time but i do know that there have been successful pairings after unsuccessful yeah. pairings. um you know because like you said sometimes dogs are just you know somebody had an idea in their head they wanted a little more energy or or you know or they're in a worse spot they've gained weight they've hurt themselves and the dog is just too much for them yeah. How would they address something like, um, especially if you're dealing with people with post-traumatic stress, P uh, um, depression is usually a major factor in that. So being able to take care of yourself is difficult to, uh, enough. How, what kind of reinforcements do they treat you to be able to get through those to take care of the service animal as well as yourself? Do they, do they cover this? They, well, they do, actually. In fact, the PTSD program, um, they stay in a lot more contact than they do with some of the other um, applicants. That Because for me, in my case, I've got a prosthetic leg on the left side. Things aren't really changing there. It's not growing back. I'm not a starfish. Um, Why didn't you get one on the right? Well, I was going to, but every time I put it on, I'm too tall on that thing. Just, it feels awkward. I get it, man. I get it. No, just I, I, underachieving. I get it. It's just fine. We all have excuses. We're full of excuses. I'm scared of heights. That's the real <laughs> truth. <laughs> um, you need help. Oh, absolutely. Oh, 100%, <laughs> dude. That's, that's why I started this network because I'm like, I can't do this shit by myself. I got to, this is, this is my, this is the verification that I messed up. This is everything's documented. Yeah. This is yeah. like the wrong kind of validation for you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's negative attention all day long. Right, it's it's sort of a you know a kick in the chest. The uh, the this is Sparta of I've done something. Um, do you want to um? Let's go into to your story a little bit because um you know you've used this humor, this dark humor as 
a lot with your recovery. And I, I can, I guarantee your, your, your team, your medical team absolutely loved coming to visit and check up on you. And the nurses probably loved having your attitude there. Or they, at least they said they did. They were <laughs> to pretend like they don't get life. paid enough to lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? Wah, wah, wah. Um, I mean, that's, uh, that's fair. Uh, I mean, they threw me a hell of a party when I left. They were so excited and happy, man. Yeah. I just, I don't get um, So I wanted to talk about that journey a little bit because, you know, um, the uh, being with on the hockey team with Lisa, that's a lot of our teammates uh, were single or multi, uh, multiple uh, limb amputees. And um, hearing their, their stories of recovery, uh, especially in my hard times, really helped kind of get me through. Um, and so, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear yours as well. Absolutely. So born in a quaint little town. No. Okay. Um, I, you know, like you said, born and raised in Georgia and, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to travel. I wanted to see a little bit of the world, uh, like anybody. And, and, you know, I think a lot of guys and gals have that moment where they go, I should join the military. Like I'd get to see things and, and meet new people. And you don't really think about the whole like war aspect of it because, you know, we, you know, when we were growing up, it was just a cold war. Like, you know, nothing happens there. Russia's not going to do anything. It's just too expensive to fight. So, um, <laughs> no one's got the budget. Yeah, no, who's, who can work that in? Come on now. <laughs> so, you know, I ended up uh, going into the Navy because I was not man enough for the Army. No, really, I, um, I went into the Navy because a friend of mine was initially going to go into the Navy and ended up going into the Army instead. My brother-in-law, who's married to my wife's identical twin, went into the Air Force and ended up in the Navy, brother-in-law in the Air Force, one of my very best friends in the Army, and then I ended up with the Marines anyway. So just basically fuck me all around, dude. Just, yeah, I mean, what yeah. am I going to do here? So I ended up going in and, uh, and, and, you know, we talked a little bit about this last night, but, you know, I, I've been really lucky in a lot of ways and, um, but you can only say it's luck so many times before you just start saying, you know, maybe you're just on the right path. And I was yeah. right back when I went in and, and, you know, sort of my, it's funny, my, my other um, backup job other than uh, Corman was actually uh, K9MP was what my backup, what I wanted to do if I couldn't um, become a Corman. So I became a Corman um, having no clue what Corman actually did. There's like, Oh, there's a chance you could end up with Marines. What I didn't know is that being six foot four loud and like motivated meant that there was no way on earth I was getting sent to Japan for fun time. <laughs> nope. I was going to the Marines. I was too loud. I was too moto. And uh, so. Oh, Okinawa I, for you. I, yeah, I went straight to the pipeline. Like there was not even like a joke where they're like, they let me hang for a day or two to let me, yeah, maybe going to Italy or Japan. No. It's like I walked in and, you know, it was like third on my list and they laughed at me, you know, <laughs> they're like, sorry, bud. Um, and I, I ended up where I needed to go, though. I went straight through the pipeline to uh, Camp Pendleton, um, you know, core school from up at Great Lakes or Great Mistakes, as they call it. Went over to Camp Pendleton for field medical service school. And I think I figured out real quick that was where I needed to be. It was a huge class, like 200 people. And uh, out of all the things, the like medals and everything I've got, I think my favorite thing that I got was I got the motivator award. Out of all those people, I got the motivator award. They did one for the guys and one for the girls. 
and uh and and I got the guys winning. I was super because I worked hard, not because like I wanted that. I didn't even know it was a thing, but because I, you know, I love people and I wanted everybody to do good. I just remember us doing those rucks and like, you know, I'd I'd have I'd be holding some guy's hand on one side and some girl's hand on the other, and I would just be pulling them up the hill singing cadence, you know. And those were some of the times I look back when things got tough and just remembered, you know, this is a beautiful thing. This is people working together. And, uh, Can you do kumbaya in step? Yeah, kumbaya, baby. Right. So we got to speed it up. We had drove all the way over to uh, to California, and um, my wife and I. She somehow got pregnant along the way. We haven't figured out exactly. Um, so by the time I deployed, I would supposed to go with three one, which I would have been home. Yes. Uh, so what happens when you're below the Bible Belt? So. <laughs> Because you're Georgia straight to Texas, like Highway 10, is it, or whatever? You just basically drive. We drove all the way to Texas in one day, spent an entire day driving in Texas, and slept in Texas again. That's how Texas is. Oh. And, uh, and so, you know, when we got there, we found a great place, but my wife was pregnant. I found out while I was with 3-1, they weren't set to deploy until November or um, or end of September, and my wife was due in June so we were like kosher that's cool and the Marine Corps I think found out that my wife was pregnant was like no we don't do that here move me to 2-1 so I could deploy in March and miss it (laughs) (laughs) thanks guys oh yeah I was I love 2-1 I was where I needed to be I don't regret it I would love to have been there for the birth of my child um but there was something big happening in the world. And I think you go into the military knowing you're going to be a part of something that's bigger than, than you and, your, and even your immediate family. And it doesn't always line up just right. And it's not going to line up for a lot of people. Mm. I deployed with a fantastic group of men. We went to war. Uh, March 26th, they, uh, you know, we went into the city of Fallujah as a direct response to the uh, contractors that they attacked earlier in the month of March of that year on that bridge where they hung up the ha- contractors' bodies and burned the, the Humvees. If you were watching the news in that time, you, uh, you, you know, you heard about that. We went in as a direct result of that. Ended up staying in the city a little under two months. And, brother, we had quite a deployment. I lost my first guy on the 26th of March. His name was a uh, PFC Sandoval. He was not a U.S. citizen at the time, but he was an American, and uh, and he got his citizenship posthumously and, and deserved it and much more. Um, they did right by him though and made sure that he got his citizenship. Um, and and then from then on, things just you know as you know, Fallujah was not fun for anybody, and uh, and and things just went downhill from there. Um, you know, a couple of bombs, a couple of people getting hurt. Uh, you know, we had a rollover death, which is just something you hate to have. Um, and then on Labor Day, September 6th of 2004, we had a uh, about a month left at that time, a little over a month. And uh, we head out and in a group of seven tons to relieve, uh, I believe it was second platoon. We were third platoon Fox Company. And the first vehicle in the convoy gets hit with an IED. So, I'm sorry, a a suicide bomber. Um, It was a white van from what I understand that had a a 500 pound anti-aircraft in it. And uh, and I think it was like two 155 shells. Like it was 
was enough to take a seven ton out. That was their goal. That was their plan. And, uh, and so they had the, the equipment to do it. And um, so I jump out and, and go running up. Uh, keep in mind, this is the vehicle my lieutenant is in. And my lieutenant and I were really close. I always rode with my lieutenant. They lined up out of order. I was in the first seven ton where the lieutenant was going to be. And then I ended up behind them as they shifted out to drive. And I, I didn't think anything big of it. I'm not, you know, I wasn't just going to run them, jump in that vehicle. It's like, whatever. It's not like it really matters. It's a 40 minute trip out. Seven ton gets hit. Uh, we ended up losing seven Marines. And uh, I think it was two, maybe three Swanee guys, which were the Iraqi like SWAT guys that were with us. And, uh, and, and they were good men. They were there for real. They were, these were the guys that were trying to help their country. And um, so, you know, here I am, the, you know, baby-faced corpsman. I'd been through some stuff, but this, a mass casualty is something that no corpsman ever wants to go through. And, um, you know, we, we I, I made it through that and uh, was able to sort of, it was kind of had a, a coming to God moment. We had 11 days after that. And, you know, I held it all together because I was there with my Marines, helped clean up the bodies and, and, and to put it bluntly, the, the, the pieces. And um, I held it all together. I don't know how I did that. I, I guess had people looking. I was just trying to just keep it together. And what got me was we got back to base. We unloaded the bodies. We took all the gear over and spread the gear out to, uh, to check and see, like, what was missing, what was broken, what was damaged. And it looked like an entire squad's serial gear inspection. And it was such a normal thing laying on these tarps, like we always do with our NVGs and stuff like that when we're doing serial gear, like gear inspections. That was it for me. It was just too normal and everything's covered in blood. So I'm like, all right, cool. You guys got this? Walk around the back of the hut and lost it for like five minutes. Put my robot face back on, went back around, and I was okay. You know, I needed that. 11 days later, we're all trying to come to grips to it. They're all telling us, don't get complacent, don't get complacent. I'm like, have you lost your mind? I've never been more hypervigilant in my entire life. We go back out, we don't have comms. We're already like here and we lose comms with battalion. We're 40 minutes out. So we're awesome. awesome. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a corpsman, like break a femur or somebody, please. So I can do that instead of like work on this radio. And we got comms back. Our, you know, the second platoon lieutenant, they dissolved third platoon down, moved me to moved a bunch of us all, all over the place because third platoon was combat ineffective. And uh, I was with second platoon. He was like high stress. I'm like, I need to get away from this guy if he starts throwing stuff. So I'm, you know, they call and say that one of our forward spots, one of the Marines had cut open the back of his leg pretty badly and they needed a corpsman, a doc to come look at it. I'm like, I'll go. That morning, I chose food over putting my nine millimeter from my hip to my chest. I always, I'd say there were maybe five to seven days, the entire eight month deployment that I didn't have that nine millimeter on my chest. And I chose food over getting my gear perfect. I was going to get it when I got there. We get there, we lose calm. So I never had a chance to just resituate. Mm. In the Humvee. We head up to pick this guy up. I realize he's going to need sutures, like a dozen of them on the back of his calf. It's too clean to cut. Every time he moves his leg, it's splitting. So we're going to take him back. We get in Humvees. 
You go across this bridge to turn around and the first one gets hit with an IED. So I jump out and go running up to try to help. I wouldn't let the Marines run with me because I know like they like to use bait bombs. Uh, they disabled the first vehicle. We didn't know how bad it was. I was gonna try and sneak up there. So, you know, I bounced between, um, you know, the last vehicle to the third vehicle to the second vehicle and then tried to make my way to this first vehicle. And then as I got between the second vehicle and the first vehicle, normally, as you know, we would do a cordon, but we're on a bridge and there's only four Humvees and a squad of Marines. We didn't have enough people to spread out. And so I ran up solo, kind of hoping they wouldn't pop a IED on, on little old me. Uh, I was incorrect. They, uh, secondary IED while I was on foot running to try to get to the first vehicle. I remember going up in the air. I remember hitting the ground. And uh, I remember thinking that I was dead. As you know, I'm not pessimistic. I didn't think I was dead because I had like given up. I just, logic. I mean, I just got hit on foot with a bomb. They pressed the button on exactly when they wanted to on me. I just didn't see how there was a way and I'm laying there for a second and I'm not somebody that's gonna give up and I just couldn't let it go. I wanted to see, it's that Corman inside me. I don't care how bad it is, I wanna know. I don't wanna be like in line with St. Peter and him be like, what happened to you? And be like, well, I got blown up and I laid there until I died, you know? So I, uh, I rolled over, I couldn't hear anything. My ears were ringing like that Halo 3 commercial from back in the day. They did a good job with that. Um, side note, defense mechanism. Um, so I, I, I was able to roll over and put a tourniquet on my left leg and there I'm hearing people yell, but I can't hear crap. So I put a tourniquet on that side, which was as bad as getting blown up pain wise. Um, getting hit on foot with an IED, by the way, feels like getting into a pillow fight with the Incredible Hulk and he's got a mattress. It's a puff of air, a huge puff of air that pushes all the blood to the back of your body. And when the blood starts flowing back towards the front of your body, it's like, you know, when your legs asleep because you're an idiot and you sit on it for too long and then you stand up and it feels like pins and needles. My whole body felt like that. All the blood was rushing from the back of my body straight back in. And um, I was able to, uh, you know, sort of get my head right. I knew I needed a tourniquet. I reach in my pocket. And the first thing that I feel beside my tourniquet that I made in field medical service school and carried with me ever since then was a little pin that my wife sent me after my daughter was born. And so I had her little hairy face on it and um, not face, but you know, hairy head. She didn't get that for me. I'm wearing a hat as a defense mechanism too. Um, and it grounded me, you know, even then she was making things better for me and, and sort of like guiding me and, and was was a sort of a path towards clarity and so in that moment um you know I, I I knew I needed to put the tourniquet on I sort of went into let's work on this mode put the tourniquet on which was awful was able to get a pressure dressing on I shot myself up with morphine like I mentioned I've never even been drunk so I was kind of excited about that boy was that a letdown do not recommend Zero out of 10. The whole experience, I do not recommend. You're really just what? <laughs> not drinking or pumping morphine into yourself. Which part? Yeah, well, the explosion, the whole experience was subpar, I would say. <laughs> if I had to put a label on it, I would say getting blown up is just. <laughs> so we're going to Florida for vacation next year. That's what Yeah. Saying. Well, yay. We're going to Florida, but not like we're going to Pensacola, you know? 
I don't want to go to Pensacola. I don't want. I don't want. No, yeah. <laughs> so, I was able to. Um, I, I started trying to move once I got the tourniquet on. I realized very quickly I was going to kill myself if I tried to. I wanted to see what happened in the first vehicle. Uh, we lost Sammy, our interpreter, wonderful man, and uh, and we lost a gentleman by the name of Christopher Ebert. I'm friends with his twin brother Brian, and uh, and there was a gentleman that uh, that that survived. So we're in the back of the Humvee. And um, I am working on this, uh, you know, the survivor and Doc Meany, which is a great name for a corpsman. I love that name for a corpsman. He really should do a lot of things. Just the last name Meany works for so much, <laughs> and, uh, like a kindergarten teacher. And um, so he's working on me while I'm working on this guy. And uh, I just remember the tourniquet was leaking and Meany looks over and he says, you're leaking, brother. You want me to do it or you want to? And I just... You know, I was just thinking it was kind of funny because if you're ever going to do anything right in your life, putting your tourniquet on should probably be the thing that you do right. And so I'm like, no, you're not touching it. This is me. I'm going to do it. So, you know, I was able to sort of like tighten it up and everything. But, you know, we get back, you know, the, the lieutenant colonel's there. I was just super excited to see him, too. You know, I was in the mood to meet people. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's 40 minute drive back in the Humvee. He, he was a good dude, though. Um, you know, I'm being flippant. And um, so they put me on, you know, on the operating table, lost my wedding ring somewhere between there and uh, Balad, ended up going to Balad, to Baghdad, to Longstuhl, Germany, um, didn't enjoy much of that trip. And uh, then Longstuhl, long flight all the way back to Bethesda, Maryland. And, uh, and I knew when I hit Bethesda, Maryland, um, I was home and I knew that my daughter and my wife and my mom and my sister and my, you know, my stepdad were all close. And so in a weird sort of way, it just felt surreal. I remember sitting in the hospital room knowing that they were in the hospital. And I'm, I'm soaking my hands in this blue tub. I'll never forget this. And I'm trying to get all the dried blood out from under my fingernails. I just didn't want to hold my baby for the first time with blood on my hands. And um, I just remember thinking that 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 thing that I've been through, this dried blood under my fingernails and this new baby, that's the same person. I have to find a way to take this stuff that I've been through and this family and this new baby and me as a father and merge this into one person. I can't separate this out. And, um, and I think that that moment of just sitting there trying to get my head right and get my hands clean, and I realized that it wasn't gonna happen. I think that's, that started me off on the right foot. And to be funny again, the right foot's the only foot I've got, so it was a good thing. But for me, just that moment of starting things out, I think, you know, we talk about recovery and why some people make it and some people don't. And it's not always like strength of character. Sometimes it's just blind, dumb luck. And I think that I was sober enough. I didn't want them giving me anything crazy. I didn't want to be too high when I saw my family. I'd rather deal with the pain. And I got to hold her and I got to see my wife. I got to see my mom and everybody was loving on me and hugging on me. And that's the last thing I remember before the surgery started. I ended up having about three dozen surgeries. And some of them are just nasty cleanouts, like debridements and stuff like that. And I will never, ever, 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 ever 
forget that night. That night of being able to see my daughter sober was what sort of helped me get through everything, you know? <clears throat> was your... All these meds and everything, so... I mean, that that is that is a long sequence of events, very traumatic events, all the way back, like, you know, from point A all the way to Z, and it's like, boom, and you just, like, streamline right from A to Z. And yeah. I mean, from basic training to that, there was no downtime in any of that. The last relaxing thing I did was probably in Texas when I made my daughter. <laughs> Awful. I should have said that. Anyway. Well, I mean, that's what what gets you to the backside of the story. Um, but when you're going through all that, you know, we, we had a, a medic on an army medic on before this and I, you know, I'm not trying to get too deep in, into this with you, but was when all that's going on, <clears throat> a lot of guys say it's their training. You know, you were trained to do a job and you, and, and though you had your leg tourniquet, on and then you're you know you're trying not to bleed out and you're trying to save guys and the other medics trying to save you and it's like training 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 was there a point in that in in that sequence of events or do you remember when it went from training to now all the things that i love that are home are 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 keeping me going right because you know your training keeps you going your mission keeps you going keep guys alive keeps you going and then now you're back home and now it's that next chapter in your life that's beginning and it's family and it's, you know, your, your new baby. And, you know, it was, was, do you remember a point where it's like no longer, it's not about the training and the mission anymore. And now it's more about fam, it's family. And this is what's going to keep me going. And this is, this is now my new mission. You know, it's, it's so much easier to do things, even sacrificial things for other people. It's hard to, to do things for yourself. And so in a weird sort of way, I needed that family. I needed to know that I was, I was doing it for someone else. And yeah, I, I training sort of was able to take over, but I never would have got to the training aspect of it if it wasn't for that rollover moment. When I'm laying face down and I'm like thinking I'm dying, and, you know, that thing inside me, like there's people at home waiting on me and I'm not going to just sit here and, and go, I'm not going to go out like that. If I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out, but it's going to be like fist up. And um, so, you know, I, I, you know, that, that thing that's inside all of us sometimes, and sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not, I think anybody's capable of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it just happened to hit me at the right moment. I had my head right. And I, you know, was in the right circumstance. I had a lot to live for and, uh, and I was able to do it, but you know, like you said, it is easier when it's for other people. I mean, I would have ran out in front of like, I, I would do it again. I'd run to that vehicle again, even knowing that there's no way to get from one side of the bridge to the other without getting blown up and probably killed. Um, because for me, Having lived through that moment and being a coward, I would never, ever, 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 ever be able to live with myself. Cross my mind just to, to sit. If I could go back in time and just sit in the truck and say, we're going to wait on somebody to get here. Even though there was nothing I could do for the guys that got killed, I did the right thing in the right moment. And I think that that's why I don't have the guilt that a lot of guys have is because I would have died for any of those guys. I didn't even, that's second platoon. Those were not even my guys. 
but those were my guys in that moment. And I would have died for them. And I do it again. It's got, there's not even a question in my mind. And that's the only thing I think that doesn't make me go crazy with how awful everything turned out is knowing that you put me in that situation a thousand times. I can guarantee you that 999 of them, I'm going to do that exact same thing. I mean, if you hadn't taken the brave step, especially with the uh, self-care, I mean, you would have, you, know, you wouldn't have lived to feel guilty about it anyways, dude, you know, you're probably bled out. So, yeah. I mean, you ultimately, you, you had, you were put in a snap decision and you made the right choice. Probably. I mean, one that takes an incredible amount of strength because while you had the, the, to come, overcome the physical portion, I mean, one of the things you said during our, our pre-meeting was treat, you have, it's imperative to treat yourself like your best friend. Um, and through the process of getting through, I mean, after, obviously after everything kind of settles again and you're back down in the U S at Walter Reed, um, are you able to jump right into that mindset or does it, are you, or do you have any, uh, any pitfalls that you're, cause I know the sobriety thing is, is definitely one that like, if you weren't conscious about it, you could have easily, uh, in your situation went down a very dark hole. Um, so when you mentioned treating yourself like your best friend, coming to grips with everything that's happened, readjusting back to being home, is that where you kind of default? Because you said that love is your default. Um, and did you, were you able to do that with yourself right away because of that, you know, lack of guilt element there? You know, in a weird sort of way, I mean, it's hard to use this term in this context, but I, I mean, I had a, an identity crisis, you know, I, I had no idea i was trying to figure out who i was and you know and whether or not i was okay with the decisions i've made and you know whether or not i was okay with with being somebody that went from you know being the guy that people come to for every aspect of their lives and all of a sudden i've got this like metal leg you know my other leg's completely jacked up like this is who i am now and you know i i it took years i was not the best husband during that time, uh, because I didn't know who I was in general. And I'm not going to like make excuses for myself. I didn't do anything insane. I never like laid a hand on my wife or, you know, or like started drinking or, or doing heavy drugs or anything like that outside of the prescription drugs they were giving me in the hospital. I was absent. I was mentally and physically checked out. I put on weight. I got up to like 265 pounds and that's missing a leg brother. That's, that's a big boy. And, um, you know, that's the journey we talk about that Rook and I talk about. I hit the yeah. absence as a husband for a long time. I put on, I got up to 230. Um, I, that's the journey that Rook and I are like, hey, man, there's this, there seems to be this trend when you get out, you do the, the identity crisis. The identity, I, I went through that for years too. And yeah. I, I know so many that have. It's just fucking nuts, man. Um, that, but it, I, I hate saying nuts because I feel like that minimizes it. But, but at the same time, it's like, it's almost something tangible that you can be like, okay, if I can overcome this period, I'm going to be okay. I agree hundred percent. Cause if you don't deep think it the way that I did for this period, like dude, I was in the beta for guild wars and I didn't step out of that game for 11 months. I mean, I would wake up in the morning and just check out because I'm playing a game with people who didn't even know that I was injured. I didn't have to be that person. I didn't have to put a smile on. I didn't have to wear my mask. And it wasn't a mask of depression, you know, with a smile on the front. 
I'm just not that kind of person. I've never, you know, I never had to deal with suicidal thoughts. I'm not crazy. I mean, I, you go through this stuff and I did think maybe my family would be better off without me, but never did I think that I wanted to die. Um, and I, and I'm lucky. I'm glad that that never happened. And I didn't have that mindset. Um, what happened with me is I just went, like you said, I just went dead. I didn't care. You know, you could have just, you could have walked in and called me a fat cripple and I would have like turned back around and was like, Hey, I should make a new character on Guild Wars. <laughs> like, like, like I didn't care. You could have said anything to me. And, uh, and I hate that I was that person for the first year of my daughter's life. And, uh, and she grew up in a hospital and we have a fantastic relationship now. She's 16 and you know, we joke all the time, like she'll try to guilt me. She's like, you weren't even there when I was born. You know, it's this ongoing joke with us because she knows, like, she never has the doubt that I love her. And, and you know, I've got another little girl who's, uh, you know, who's 13 and I've got a, a little guy who's eight. And, uh, and you know, like I said, we've got even a, a foster kid in the house right now that I can't, you know, I can't talk about, obviously. But, you know, I, my default is love. And, and I was able to get back there once I figured out who I was, but I needed that downtime of overthinking everything. It's like if you, you know, if I ended up having to cut this other foot off, nobody can say I didn't try to save it. You know what I'm saying? I needed this time. If I had that day, if I'd been like cut it off, I would think my whole life, what if I could have ran with it? What if I could have done this or that? You've got to deep think it and you've got to go through that stuff a little bit at a time. And, and, you know, I had a support system. I had, you know, Benjamin and then Galaxy, who is actually. Galaxy, are you alive? Galaxy. He's alive. <laughs> yeah. That's Sergeant to you, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does outrank me, which isn't hard to do. But, you know, I had a great support system. I had people, I had a church that would send me, like, there was somebody there who sent me deer jerky. Like, how can you not get better with deer jerky? Like, <laughs> that's true. Deer jerky about, makes everything better. I'm always willing to take deer jerky, by the way. What's that? So I'll take deer, deer jerky anytime. It's a spiritual uh, battery refill for me. So can I ask something that I don't know about you? Uh, of course. When did you first uh, find out about vet dogs or, and apply for one? What made you decide that you were ready for that and that it would help you? You know, that's actually a great story. I was on a veteran trip and, you know, I didn't do many of these because I felt guilty taking, like doing any of that stuff. Like I'll once because I wanted to meet people and have the experience, but because I knew I was only going to do that, like maybe once or twice when it was on a ski trip, I was in the snow at 7am and I didn't come in until it was ice, you know, the <laughs> behind the mountains and all of a sudden you can't ski anywhere. You're just sliding. So I mean, you know, I'm like bloody from trying, I'm, I'm going to milk this thing for all it's worth. So I went on one of these trips and I met Harvey, who is the occupational therapist at Walter Reed, a facility dog. I've known Harvey for years. Yeah, Deuce then? Facility dog. Deuce? Was that Deuce that he had? Deuce. Yeah. Let me tell you why Deuce is a great name for this dog. He was a chocolate lab. There's a better name <laughs> for a chocolate lab than Deuce. Prove me. <laughs> I dare you. Unless he was called straight Dookie. Like there's nothing else that would have worked better than Deuce for a chocolate lab. This dog was great. He's running around doing chocolate lab stuff, which is, you know, just being amazing. Mm. And Harvey says, Deuce, come. And this dog's entire demeanor changed. It was like watching like a casting call for Air Bud right in front of me. 
And he had this dog run through all these tasks and the dogs are trained for everything from, you know, hearing, balance and mobility, retrieval, bracing, you know, which lets you in and out of the floor, seizure response, nightmare interruption, all that stuff. And so he's going through and sort of showing us what these dogs can do. And I was like, how do I get one of these? And they told me about America's Vet Dogs and I put application in within, well, probably four weeks. I, I was like done with my application process on my end and they had to come out and do the interviews and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So lab. Yeah. Um, so I mean, so you're you're going through all this. You go on this ski trip, hmm. and then you see the demonstration that these therapy dogs can do for individuals, and then you're just and and you're like, I need I need that. Like, what, what like what was the thought with that? Was it like I need that in my life, or or you well, know? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw it in, well, I mean, initially it was more like, that's really cool. I want one. Like when you see the cyber truck, like it's ugly and I, I want it. I want to be, I want a truck I can throw a hammer at when I'm angry, you know, and, um, and maybe just break the window a little. But like, I, you know, once he went through the, the, the aspect of what the dog could do, you know, I realized that I was in a point in my life, my wife's like 120 pounds and I'm like, you know, at this point, like 250 I wasn't walking because like I felt awful asking her to help me do. I mean, she's already like making my meals and bringing my plate to me. Like I'm, you know, Lord Farquaad the third. Mm. And, you know, I just felt awful. And I just, and instead of it being like depressing, I just was like, whatever. Like I, I just didn't try. And so getting Benjamin was what sort of pushed me back into walking again and wanting to try because this dog flipping loved helping, loved working I mean, tail wagon when I put his vest on and it just didn't stop the whole time. And it was such a relief to have guilt-free help. My wife never made me feel guilty. That was on me. She was fantastic. Yeah, but we're pros at it. We're good at it. Guilt, we got that locked down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can do anything like that to myself. Easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. If you don't want to make anybody else feel that way. Nobody knows how to hurt me like me. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Boy, I think I read a thing the other day that was great. It said anxiety is literally conspiracy theories against yourself. <laughs> um, so let's let's shift a little bit here. Let's talk about the uh, the Freedom Series events that are coming up. Lisa, um, this is this is what got us all talking about getting onto the podcast because you guys have some events coming up this month. It is April Fools. And by the way, we're not really live and I'm not airing this episode. <laughs> gotcha. And I've got three legs, not two <laughs> or one. See, I can't even count today. Joe wins. Woo. Joe wins. I'm not done. I, I just, I got nothing at this point. Oh, so, um, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> He's In Afghanistan, they called, they, they'd call that Theresia for tripod. Oh, <laughs> I guess um, I'm bipod then. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, uh, what, what on, on some days, <laughs> you can be both. You you're autonomous, dude. It's true. I am. Um, I am. Well, oh yeah. Wait, wait, I'm not stock. Yeah. I'm no longer stock. That's oh, right. Oh, oh aftermarket. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Um, so oh. let's talk about. Um, because are you? Yeah, what can you now with these freedom series events there there are 5k events right that's um, correct um can i backtrack just a tiny bit 
on, on the whole thing. Uh, we do a lot of what we call third party fundraising, which is organizations will have events and then donate proceeds to Vet Dogs. Uh, Vet Dogs has a few of its own um, signature events that it puts on. There's a, a major golf outing each year and a, a fashion show for dogs. I hate saying that, but there's a, we call it Dogs on the Catwalk. Uh, but that's actually for the, the Guide Dog Foundation side. My point being is that everything that America's Vet Dogs does and these amazing life-saving miraculous little critters that we give you know, to people like Joe uh, is completely free to the, to the re recipient. And the basic cost of breeding these dogs because most of the, they're bred on, on site uh, so that we know their background, their history, their health conditions, their temperament and such. Uh, the breeding, the raising, the training, the matching with the veteran, and then a lifetime of aftercare is entirely free to the, to the veterans. And there's- To explain that, if I were to lose my hearing, break my vision or start having really bad nightmares and I, I needed some help with that, they would come out and train Galaxy for that. Or even oh, if I needed man. another dog, they would, they would retrain for me if I needed it. Wow. Yeah. And they would not ask me for anything ever. Yeah. That's why I love these guys. I'm yeah. so sorry to interrupt. I just, I want no, you to no, say what aftercare means. It's not like right. have somebody come out and trim the dog's nails every three months. It's, it's legitimate, like aftercare. Correct. Yeah. Um, but my point being is we need to raise a lot of money so that we can continue doing this. And one of the things that we've done for the past 10 years or so is a 5K race. And it started in Annapolis, Maryland, where we, uh, a midshipman at the Naval Academy is the one who actually started the whole thing going. And we've had it in the area ever since then. But of course, since last year with the pandemic, we weren't able to hold the event. And this year was looking iffy as well. We're not sure when we can do it. So the team at Vet Dogs decided to go virtual this year. We're going to have a, the Freedom Series is three separate uh, 5K runs or a two, you can do a 2K walk with or without your dog, your family, whatever. Uh, no one's watching you. You can skip, you can, you know, Sasha, you can do whatever the hell you want. Um, but this series is, uh, I have to always look at the names of how we have them. Um, they would want, you, you can register right now to do all three for $75 and you get a t-shirt out of it. Ooh. Uh, if you were to register individually, just, you just wanted to do one or two, that's $30 each. So, hey, what a bargain, register for all three. The Liberty Challenge is the first one. That's in April. So anytime between April 10th and 18th, you do your run, you can send the, um, the results to vet dogs or not, doesn't matter. There's, there's not, nothing really competitive about this. It's, it's all for fun and for fundraising. Um, the second event is in July, July 17th, 31st, it's called the Independence Run. And then in November from the 1st to the 14th, we're doing the Honor Run. So you pick a day convenient for you anytime there, do your 5K run, do your two mile walk and feel good about yourself and what you're doing to help. And even more importantly is we're hoping that people will find out about this and tell their relatives in Omaha, Nebraska, and that they're gonna to wanna to do it too. And in, you know, everywhere. We're trying to make this a, 
a national event. Actually, we've had people from Spain, I think last year, somebody did it virtually. So that was pretty cool. Nice. Um, but we need to get the word out about this and we need to get people interested in doing it. Uh, sometimes people form teams and they, they try to, uh, you know, to, to do it all together. And you can also raise money, get, get pledges uh, for your running. And I, I despise running. I, I hate to run. It hurts a lot. Um, I did too much of it and now I don't want to do it anymore. But this is something I do every year. Uh, I run and I hurt myself and I raise money uh, because this cause is just worth it. So I want everybody out there, everybody listening, I don't know who's on watching us, but uh, please register, get all your friends involved, uh, form a team, hit up your relatives and friends for some money uh, and do a good deed. We have the link right here. You can see the link actually, I'll post ah, it again even in the comments. You. Okay. Uh, uh, that is not it, that is. And this stuff is so important. I don't think people realize, you know, we get out and there's this huge gap in our lives when we get out of the military. And it's not just the gap of missing your, you know, your guys that you serve with, you know, you're busy, you have a purpose. And so I'm one of those people that needs a purpose. I'm one of those people that needs to have a goal. And so, you know, things like these runs, things like getting involved in nonprofits is part of my healing process. You know, when I got started getting better in the hospital, you know, I started visiting people to try to just share with them. And sometimes, you know, uh, it's, it's just sitting in the room with them and sometimes people want to talk, but you know, it, people neglect a certain part of themselves and that's what your weakness is going to be. It's mind, body, and spirit. And you've got to do all three of those. You've got to do something and like get it being a part of a nonprofit or being a part of, of just raising money, just a goal in your life is so important for, for spirit, you know, and, and we know what it's like. We all, we all slip on the body side of things and, and you get to the other side of your closet and you're like, all right, I'm, I don't want to buy new clothes. It's time to buckle down a little bit. And, um, you know, and the, and the, and the mind thing is, you know, like as veterans, you hate school sometimes, but you love learning. You know, I, I love learning. I love talking about stuff. And, uh, and, you know, I got involved with the program because of the education. I went two years of my life not realizing this program existed and that I could get help. I, wanted, I didn't want that to happen to anyone else. I had an amazing support system, and it's still the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I wanted to be there for other people to, to let them know that there's help. That's incredible, man. Um, now, Lisa, you know, you did your term of service, then you get out, and you've been very active with helping veterans. <clears throat> you know, what is, what was like the beginning of your why? Like you, you, you get done with the, the army. You said you're in the army. You're down in Kansas. You get done with that, and then all of a sudden, like, what was it? What was it that you saw? A story you heard that you said, you know what? This is my, this is my next term of the enlistment. Now I'm going to give back to these guys and gals. You know, it, it took me a while. Um, I, I enlisted in 1991 and I was already 27 years old when I enlisted. I had been through college. I had been through graduate school. I had started a career and the Gulf War all started. And I, something just like snapped at me and said, you, you got to be doing something more. Okay. I'm gung-ho, I go. And as we mentioned last night, because I went into um, military intelligence and I had to learn a language, the war was over before my, my training was over. <laughs> so, Wartzkoff, he was a Yeah, 
exactly that left hook and you know all that so um uh i went through my my service and at that point you know i i knew it wasn't going to be a, a career for me because i really had nothing to base you know when i say a veteran that i'm a veteran compared to you guys i feel like a piece of crap because i i, I know i know i know well, you I should obviously no. <laughs> How dare you call I know, but it, no, we uh, honestly no. No, but I, I, I'm, I don't do not the crazy stuff. I mean, I'm being honest. No, with you. I tell, no, no, I know. I've had people apologize for like being in a certain branch of service. I'm like, don't you ever. Yeah. I don't care yeah, if you're, that's... you know, Marine or Coast Guard Reserve or Air Force or even an officer. <laughs> what about Space Force? What if you're a guardian? I'm jealous. If I <laughs> A space force that comes straight from green envy i promise you yep on mars send me elon <laughs> send me but anyway to get back to your your question um sean it, it did take me a while um because i think i i felt like i i didn't have a connection a real connection with the military since i didn't have the the kind of experience that i actually hoped i would have um, and I, I think it helped being older in general, because as you get older, you realize the world is not about you and you are here to help other people and do what you can and serve. Uh, and as I became more just comfortable in my life, uh, you know, physically, financially, the whole thing, the more uncomfortable I became uh, spiritually, I guess. It's like, well, this, this can't be all there is. And so I, I, did I find the hockey? No, I think I found Vet Dogs first and then the hockey team. So that's when I, I met you too. I've been involved with Vet Dogs since 2008. And I think I got involved with the USA Warriors in 2011 or so. But um, once I started doing that, especially with the hockey team, I felt like I was home. Even though I had not had the same experiences you guys had with, you know, being in combat and, and working together in that way, I loved being with all the veterans on the hockey team. We, um, yeah, you were you and Tony. You and Tony are right up here. As, Tony. <laughs> if, if there's a Hall of Fame, it's you and Tony. It's, it's, that's it. No, uh, it, it, it was just great. I mean, I, I always said I loved everybody involved on that team. I loved all the guys. I, you know, I joke about, I was the team mom. I didn't like them all, but I loved them all. Mm. You know, some of those guys, I would not have invited to our house. I'd be checking the silverware and, you know, but I still love them all. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. you know how to, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So to, to me doing, and I, and I love hockey, obviously I, you know, I, I, I learned to, to skate when I was 33 and then I started playing hockey then. So I love awesome. it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, the that's knees epic. were shot. We're talking to a hockey player here. People. Yeah, we're, I'm a goalie. Our Capitals Cup. I saw you drinking out of it. Yes, this. yes, I've got my Capitals Cup. Yep, there it is. All right. Nice. So yeah, I, I was a goalie. So I I stopped things when I could, but um, but to me that that reminded me just of how much something so simple, a game of hockey, a dog, could do as far as healing goes you know guys got out there on the ice guys and gals I always say guys but there were you know we had female players as well um and you forgot that you were 
missing something or felt like you were lacking something or this, you were back with, with your, your people, your squad, your team, however you want to put it. And everybody there understood what you had gone through on, on a visceral level. They might not have known the exact details, but they knew what you had gone through. And I think that was very um, therapeutic for everybody involved. And, you know, I, Drew, just seeing you again is so wonderful because we Likewise. both, well, no, because you were always one of my favorites. I would invite you over and not be afraid of the silver being stolen. <laughs> and, but, but I've seen such an evolution in, in you and how far you've come through all the work that you've done for yourself and you know knowing there's been some bad times and i i just look up to you i look up to all you guys i mean i don't i don't know your story sean but uh what you're doing here is amazing so likewise i really don't do any as you can tell for the podcast i really don't do anything <laughs> here um yeah you know if, if you notice most I, i'm really just growing this beard out so I was your trophy beard talk. I just do this. I do this. I was like, starting one too, but I decided. Yeah. To... <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I just, Fair. you know, sure. I just like to, I like to look and even though I don't look like mm -hmm. I kind of, I'm, 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 you know, getting yeah. it, but I'm not getting it. I, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what my favorite color is this whole time. I'm like blue, <laughs> green. I'm thinking about the space force. You guys got me thinking about space force. I'm like, is there weight standards in the I know. Is there if there's no weight standards in space, can I can I be a door gunner? You know, like do you know. calories affect me the same in space? Does exactly. Space you know, the same? What are MREs like in space? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they probably go through you a lot faster. One thing yeah. you said. I'm really Lisa. weighing out a lot of stuff after this conversation, guys. You know, colors and space force. Um, Lisa, one of the big things you said it, it reminds me of the famous Muhammad Ali quote of you know service to others is the rent we pay for our room here on Earth. And it really has oh, that that's a recently in the last couple of years has resonated. And that's what Rook and I do this for. Um, and we know that's why you help everybody and you, you, you help with the dogs and the veterans and like these people that are close to your heart. And, and, you know, Joe, this is why you're helping pair because you understand how powerful it is. This, this relationship that you can have with these, these animals that are almost more intuitive to us than some of our own parents. And it just, um, you know, it, it's everybody just kind of living that life. And um, we hope that we can get you some people to register. Rook, I know we got to make a team uh, for this, uh, raise some money for them. Um, I, so we'll be heading that up. Rook, do you want to go oh, yeah. ahead and ask the famous, the, the famous one? I got one thing that I want to jump in and say, if you don't mind. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, no, first of all, I want to say I love you. Absolutely not. I'm out. Johnny Carson. I want to address, you know, the sort of apologetic nature that you started your your talk out in, Lisa, and let you know that, you know, we, we when you mature in your trauma, and we talked a little bit about this last night, you realize that war is not a monopoly on trauma at all. And it took me getting my service dog and that dog being a link between me and people who don't have the same experiences as me for me to realize how many people I can connect with. And so, although obviously, you know, your, your military service not may not have been as traumatic as someone else's, that has nothing to do with that warrior mindset, because, 
you know, there are different types of warriors. And for some people, it's literally somebody who's made it through that day. They're struggling so bad that the fight of them being here on freaking April 1st, 2021 is insane. And we'll never know the struggle it took for them to get here. Even if they don't make it tomorrow, today you've done it. And I'm proud of you. And you are incredible. And you've got that mindset and you've got that warrior in you. And I've seen it. And that's why I love you. And you're one of the people that I never forgot from the very first time I met you. You're incredible. And I love you. You've done so much for veterans. You've done so much for people. And uh, you've surely got an awful secret somewhere because otherwise you're too great of a person. <laughs> I mean, Joe, you, Joe, you, Thank so you I Joe. don't need to cut you off. No. Joe is absolutely right. I, I don't know what you got hiding there, but you've, you've absolutely. <laughs> Something's up. Ask my husband. Ask my husband. <laughs> I'm sure he's you got plenty. <laughs> he's in the other, he's watching the game. <laughs> That game? Yes, that's the one. <laughs> um, I thought he was like reading comments and like doing work. No, I am. Oh no, this no. is also where I keep my notes. Oh. Um, right. So, um, well, the, listen, I I I got to connect to the world somehow, and that's how it's done. Yeah. Um, Joe, with uh. What was the last thing you were talking about? Because I, I wanted. No, to we were. You were about to ask Sean uh, to to ask the big question. Um, well, you, I jumped in and interrupted you, and then you told me no, and I did it anyway. Well, the point was. Well, the, the point was what you said with you know anybody that can make it through that day, through whatever your struggle is, you completely nailed the the essence of our mission. Everything that we talk about, every that's exactly what we're talking about. Is like you yeah. don't. Rook, go ahead, man. Do do the question now because it's it's amazing. The, the precursor is, is uncanny. Well, I, I think that you know. I, I mean, final thought before we get to the question. Uh, when when we're you know, Joe, when you're telling your story and you're talking about running across that bridge trying to save people's lives, uh, Lisa, you have to remember something as well. Um, you're both in a way running across that bridge for somebody right now. And, you know, <clears throat> as Joe said, some people, it's a miracle to be alive today. And what is it for the veteran who feels like their world's upside down, they're trapped in a burning Humvee, you know, truck, whatever you, whatever. And, you know, here comes Lisa and Joe and they're, they're ripping that door open and they're saying, we got you, brother. We got you, sis. So it's not about what you did in the service. It's about what you're doing in service for others. <clears throat> so if there's something I want you both to just take away from this, um, metaphorically and, and actually, you're still both running across this bridge for others. And, I, and if there's something I want you to just remember as you walk away from this is that um, it's appreciated because, I mean, I was in that mental spot. I still deal with stuff. Um, and it takes, it takes the person, it takes that person that, that you love that comes for you no matter what. <clears throat> so much respect. Um, now, to get on to the question, 
as I'm long-winded. With the Warrior Workout Network and our mission of redefining a warrior, and we'll go with Lisa and then we'll let Joe finish it up here. Um, to you, since, since warriors technically don't have to be on a battlefield over the Middle East to be going through something, Lisa, to you, what makes somebody a warrior? Uh, I think self-awareness is a huge part of it. Um, I think if you have a self-awareness to know that you have a problem, you have a weakness, that you're able to admit that you're not perfect. A lot of people don't have that. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm extremely self-aware. Nobody laughs at me more than I do. I mean, I, I can laugh at myself all day because I'm just always doing or saying something stupid and I don't care what people think. If As long as I'm okay with what's happening and it's not hurting anybody, that's fine. But self-awareness in that if I felt like I was behaving in a way that was hurting people or myself, that I would have the self-awareness to recognize it, acknowledge it and seek out a way to get beyond it. And that, that whole process to me is a warrior. I've got, I've got a neighbor, a very good friend of mine lives a few houses down from me who was the first female fire captain in our county. She, she has so many medical skills. She, she can put out fire, I mean, she's amazing. And then at the age of 40, she began losing her vision, macular degeneration. So she kind of sees like with, like through a straw now, she has no peripheral vision. She's legally blind. She has a guide dog. She's had a series of guide dogs. Um, she has put herself through uh, two master's programs um, all using all digital assisted, you know, technology and because she really can't read that much. She's had buried two parents. She has a son at, living at home who is on the autism spectrum and will probably never live independently. And she gets up every day and she checks in on me to make sure I'm okay, um, that nothing's happened. I mean, my, my, we just lost a dog recently, which is, imagine that's traumatic for me checking in with me on that. She just gets up every friggin' day and keeps going. Um, nothing was going to stop her because she said, okay, I can, let, I can let this get me down. I can just go into a hole and try to find somebody to take care of me. Um, but she, and she's single, she's a single parent as well. She will not do that and she inspires me every, we, we've done the Marine Corps 10K together. Uh, we don't bring the dog we bring a leash and I hold one side and she holds the other and I guide her around potholes and you know up over the, the curbs and uh, we just have a blast doing it. There are no limits. So it, I would call her a warrior. She acknowledged what, what she had to do to get beyond what her issue was and she just plowed ahead and did it and continues to do it. Um, That's a warrior for sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Incredible. Unbelievable. Give your, I don't know, what's her name? Cecilia. Oh, we'll give her a, a hats off from the Warrior Workout Network. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Joe, what, what's, your, what's your definition of a warrior? 
You know, uh, she gave such a great definition. Um, you know, it's hard to follow that. But, I'll, you know, the thing that comes to mind to me initially is perseverance. And I think that there's different types of perseverance. I don't just mean that as somebody who can take damage. Um, and, but a, a huge part of my growth has come from me seeing my weaknesses and seeing my flaws, um, just like you, you know, you said, Lisa. And I think that for me, a warrior is somebody that you could put in any time, in any place, and find a way to function because they're just at all times. And it's not always doing what's for someone else because sometimes the best thing you can do is shore up yourself to get yourself ready to do things, to take care of you. And so I think a warrior is somebody who can look at themselves and say, I'm trying my best right now but my best sucks. What can I do to push past that? What can I do to make my best better? Going through the foster system has taught us an awful lot about the difference between doing your best and pushing past that. It's not 110%. It's going, okay, I'm a very attentive parent. I love my kids. My kids know I'll die for them, but I'm not teaching my kids the right habits when it comes to school. What can I do to make that better? What can I do to, to help my friends who are struggling with mental illness to feel like I'm there for them without being overbearing, without being somebody who bothers them, you know, or, or and makes them comfortable that they can call me even if it's two in the morning. You know, looking at yourself and finding your weaknesses and being able to persevere and not take those things personally, but constructively. That, that I think is what makes somebody a warrior. It's, you know, it's kind of a mix between what you said and just adding in a, a dash of uh, a little, what, what's the salt? Salt, salt bay. Yeah. <laughs> just, just a dash of, of perseverance, you know? And not everybody's endless, you know, we talk about this, you know? Sometimes just getting to the day, you know? That's just, it, Gordon. Right. Well, you know, for, for everyone- one more day in. Yeah, that's the thing. And for, you know, for everyone listening right now, veteran, non-veteran alike, if you feel like you're trapped across that bridge and no one's coming, someone's coming for you. And for all of you who are going to sign up for these 5Ks, you're coming for somebody too. So, so thank you to anybody who's going to sign up for for these 5K runs to, to help raise awareness and money so that these dogs can go to people who need them so there you go